Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Cherry Pickers Podcast, a podcast where we talk all things hockey. Episode number three of the podcast, a very special episode. I'm joined with my co-host in person, Brody. How's it going, everybody? We're doing a little bit differently today, going in person, so should be exciting. Let's get her going. Yeah, no more recording over the internet. This is nice. It's going to be a little bit of a change-up, so if the audio is a little different here and there, we apologize for that, but we're going to have a little fun today. We're going to do some chatting in real life. We got quite a few topics to talk about today, Brody. So the All-Star break just ended last weekend. Pretty eventful uh, pretty eventful weekend. Lots of, uh, lots of fun. I know the players probably had a lot of fun. All the fans had a lot of fun too. So let's talk about the All-Star game a little bit. Uh, so Brody, I know you're a big Oilers fan. Um, let's talk about that fastest skater competition. What an upset, eh? Yeah, I mean, I gotta give Jordan Cairo credit where credit is due. Um, he's a hell of a skater. He went in 13.5 seconds, and yeah, that's pretty crazy. And I mean, obviously, I thought Connor McDavid was gonna win because he's the fastest player in the game with the puck. So, pretty shocking to me, but good for Jordan Cairo. Yeah, so Jordan Cairo wins the fastest skater competition with a speed of uh, or a time of 13.55 seconds. Connor McDavid actually finished fourth. Adrian Kempe got second, which was pretty surprising for me as well. Another guy uh, who placed fifth was Kale McCarr. So, a couple of the fastest guys in the league there, whether they, you know, they're probably just dogging it. You know, it's the all star break. So, don't have to try too hard, but uh, good to see some new players come on top of that fastest skater. Speaking of upsets in that all star game, Alex Petrangelo, the uh, home hometown boy for Vegas wins the breakaway challenge uh, I know there was a lot of controversy in the league uh, a lot of buzz that uh, Trevor Zegras with the wow what a move he pulled off if you have not seen that move yet you need to look it up right now Trevor Zegras all-star breakaway challenge absolutely incredible but uh, Zegras yeah a lot of people thought Zegras got robbed in that uh, breakaway challenge what do you think bro do you think he was robbed absolutely I think Trevor Zegras got robbed uh, he goes in blindfolded, does a lot of dekes, puts on a show, and gets in the back of the net. And um, To me, the All-Star game is about bringing a lot of fun, a lot of excitement, uh, young stars coming in to show off their skills. And to me, that's exactly what Trevor Zegers did, and I think he deserved to win. Yeah, you know, I think it could have been a little rigged, you know, having the hometown, you know, Alex Pietrangelo there. You know, winning that for the hometown crowd, yeah, it was a cool move. Didn't even score, though, which is kind of interesting, but uh, I think that might be the first time ever in All-Star history that uh, a player won a challenge by not even completing it, but nevertheless, crazy move by Zegras, absolutely outstanding. The things that Zegras is doing in this league right now, man, are just absolutely insane. He's bringing so many, you know, fans and new fans and people into this sport with all the creativeness that he's bringing, so... Um, yeah, other than that, in the uh, All-Star game, uh, Victor Hedman, you know, winning the hardest shot competition, a shot of 103.2 miles per hour. That is crazy to think about how hard of a shot. Imagine those guys going out there every single night willing to put their body in front of shots like that. So that was crazy. Uh, Vasileski and Campbell win the, uh, the save streak. They had a save streak at nine. So that was cool to see as well. But uh, all in all, I think uh, pretty good All-Star event. It was pretty... Uh, was, I wouldn't say it was lackluster, but it was pretty laid back. You know, you could tell the players were all enjoying their time there. And uh, no one obviously wants to get injured before, you know, the playoffs coming up. So good all-star event. It was a good weekend, but we're back into the regular season now. They started right away. So let's talk more about the regular season. Let's talk about some firings, Brody. So two teams, two Canadian teams, actually. 
let go of their head coaches. Let's start with Montreal. So Montreal, they fired their head coach Ducharme, and uh, quite a spicy pickup for their new head coach, Martin Saint Louis, Tampa Bay Lightning legend, signed as the head coach for Montreal. What do you think about that, Brody? Uh, well, first off, I think Marty St. Louis has had a fantastic career in the NHL. He's a Stanley Cup champion. He's played over a thousand career games, sure Hall of Famer, in my opinion. And Montreal has been struggling, 8-31-7 at the time of the firing of Dominique Ducharme. A lot of things not going right for them, so they need a little shakeup. And Marty St. Louis is a very proud hockey guy, and I'm sure he's going to bring a lot of excitement to the fans in Montreal and hopefully start to turn this ship around. Yeah, we've talked a lot about Montreal in this uh, this season for them. It's obviously hasn't gone any way that they wanted it to. Um, I think bringing in a uh, you know former player like Marty St. Louis is going to be a little interesting for Montreal. But uh, you know he builds these connections with the players, and when they start to retool and build their roster back up to you know compete again, I think that'll be good for the Canadians. Uh, another player I think that'll be good for Brody uh, Cole Caulfield. Definitely, you can definitely see a lot of Marty St. Louis and Cole Caulfield style of play. Um, not just size, you know, but if Marty St. Louis can, you know, give that confidence to, you know, Cole Caulfield, give him some pointers and stuff like that, I think that would be very beneficial for Cole Caulfield in his career. And uh, yeah, very interesting signing for the Canadians, bringing in uh, Marty St. Louis as new head coach. Let's flip it over to the West Coast now. So the Oilers, they finally did it, man. There was a lot of speculation, especially on that losing streak, and uh, they finally did it. They fired Dave Tippett, Jay Woodcroft coming in to replace uh, Dave Tippett there in Edmonton. Let's hear it from the Oilers fan. What do you think, Brody? I think, yeah, you definitely need a little shake up there. Dave Tippett got off to a really strong start with the Oilers. They were 16-5 and out of the gate. Since then, 7-13-3. The team just stopped responding to them. They weren't playing the way they should. But however, I also think that part of this has got to be on Ken Holland. I mean, he had $22 million of cap space this summer to bring in the depth for Connor and Leon to have success and build a team that could actually contend for a Stanley Cup. He didn't bring in the pieces that they needed specifically in goaltending and help on the blue line. So for me, part of it's got to be on upper management as well. You Ken Holland preached stability within the organization and after two and a half seasons gets rid of Dave Tippett and they're on their eighth coach in the last 12 years I believe so things are not looking good in Edmonton right now and you gotta hope and you gotta think that eventually things are gonna have to look to upper management not just the coaching. So with that said Brody if the Oilers don't make the playoffs this year what happens with Ken Holland? I think if the Oilers don't make the playoffs this season Ken Holland is gone as well. Uh, he was brought in to turn the ship around quick as Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisel are in the primes of their careers and they're not going to want to stand with this too much longer, in my opinion. Um, so I think if the Oilers don't make the playoffs after this season, Ken Holland will be gone. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that one. Ken Holland uh, brought in kind of as the savior for this organization and uh, definitely some questionable moves in the offseason. Um yeah, when you got that cap space and you got these, you know, absolutely fantastic players on your team, you need to build around them. And he really didn't do that, you know, trading away, you know, uh, trading away Caleb Jones and a pick to bring in old Duncan Keith. That really doesn't benefit your decor at all. Not going out and getting a goalie in uh, free agency was also rough for them. Even extending Mike Smith, that looks to be uh, 
pretty disastrous as well. So I uh, I agree with you on that one, Brody. I do think that if uh, the Oilers don't make it this year, I think Ken Holland's gone as well. But uh, what's it going to take with Edmonton? You know, like like you said, they've like eight head coaches, something like that in the last decade. Like what what's it going to take for the Oilers to win? You know, they got these fantastic players. They're starting to build that depth, you know, in the offense with uh, Zach Hyman and bringing up players from the minors and stuff like that. They got Dylan Holloway coming up and all that stuff. And it's just, what is it going to take in Edmonton? Like, is it truly, you know, their, their defensive and lack of goaltending or is it just no coaches, you know, fitting with them? Like it's, it's a very interesting situation in Edmonton. Um, Jay Woodcroft, he, uh, he coached uh, Bakersfield, right? Yeah, he coached Bakersfield, so he knows a lot of those guys that came up from uh, Bakersfield and made it to the show, so hopefully that uh, reignites their passion a little bit. Uh, last couple games haven't been pretty for the Oilers. They uh, lost back-to-back -back, uh, games at home, outscored 8-1 to in those two games, so the offense hasn't been providing over the last couple games. The defense hasn't been getting it done, so... Who knows what it's going to take. Hopefully a coaching uh, changeup will shift things around for the Oilers there. But uh, yeah, Dave Tippett out for Edmonton. Uh, Woodcroft to come in to replace. So let's keep talking about news in the National Hockey League, Brody. Um, let's let's talk about a suspension. A very, very, uh, <laughs> very talked about topic the last day or so. Um, Brad Marchant just received another suspension, another one. I say another one because he is now officially the most sus suspended player in National Hockey League history. Uh, Six-game suspension with an incident with uh, Pittsburgh Penguins goalie Tristan Jari. Um, yeah, if you haven't seen that clip either, long story short, uh, Jari was trying to flip a puck over to uh, a fan over over the uh, glass there, and uh, Marchant came across and... Uh, hit that puck away he was not having any of it later on fast forward down the game um puck is frozen by the penguins goalie and uh marchant seemingly out of nowhere comes over and gives him a nice right hook to the head so it's uh not sure what kind of words you know transpired out of that situation to cause marchant to do that but another six game suspension for marchant um i have heard actually that marchant is trying to appeal that suspension he does he believes that he uh doesn't deserve anything out of that uh, situation there. So, Brody, six games, too much, too little? What do you think? I think it's a fair suspension. Brad Marchand obviously is a repeat offender and has a history of suspensions. And when you go after a goalie like the way Marchand does, and he goes after Jari, pokes at him when he covers the puck, and then when he's being taken away by the officials, he jabs his stick into Tristan Jari's face, like his helmet. Like, you, there's no reason to do that and Marchand is a repeat offender so for me I don't see why it's a problem I think it's a fair amount of games for him yeah I think the thing with Marchand too is that uh I don't know what his mindset is up there what it, what he's thinking in that situation you know when you got the skill level of Brad Marchand when you're able to play as you know well as he does I it's the same thing like uh, over in Toronto when they had Nazim Kadri on their team like uh, getting into those playoffs, I know, you know, there's obviously, you know, some, uh, there's, the, you know, the, the, the anger levels are high and, uh, you know, intensity is there, but, uh, you know, Marchand's got to, you know, collect himself in those situations. You're, you're a good team, you know, you're fighting for a playoff spot, obviously. You have to, you have to control yourself and you have to, uh, you know, help your team out where you best excel at. And for Marchand, obviously, it's not, he doesn't excel at being, well, I guess he does excel at being suspended, seeming that he's now the most suspended player in history. But uh, 
his play on the ice, you know, with, with his scoring and his playmaking ability and all that, it, it needs to be out there for the Bruins. And when he's getting suspended like that, all it does is just hurt his team. So it's a, it's an interesting situation there as well. I, I definitely believe the six games was worth it. I think that uh, six is definitely deserving for what he did. It was, you know, very, very uncalled for. A very uh, bad situation there for Marchant. Um, I don't see this appeal really going his way at all. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to keep tabs on that. We'll update you guys in the next episode on how that uh, appeal goes. Uh, speaking of the Bruins, though, a uh, very, very, very good goalie, Tuka Rask, has retired with the Boston Bruins. I know he tried to make a comeback, played a couple of games with the Bruins, ran into injury problems again, and officially has announced his retirement. Uh, Brody, what are your thoughts? How do you, uh, you like Tuka Rask? You think he's a good goalie or what? Definitely. I think Tuka Rask has had a fantastic career at the Boston Bruins. He's a Stanley Cup champion in 2011. He's a big part of that Boston Bruins organization, whether it's on the ice or off the ice. Uh, I think in the future we could see Tuka Rask's number being raised to the rafters. Um, that's a huge loss for the Boston Bruins team. He's a fantastic goaltender and wish him all the best in retirement. Do you think he deserves to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame? I would say so. Um, he won a Stanley Cup. I'm pretty sure he's won a Vesna Trophy as well. Um, he's had a trip to the finals in 2013 as well. He's had a lot of very good, consistent seasons. I don't see why he wouldn't eventually be a Hall of Famer. So now I'm going to propose a question to you, Brody. Which goalie do you think had a better career? Tuka Rask or Chris Osgood? That is a very tough question. Uh, Chris Osgood has had a great career at Detroit, and they've had a lot of Stanley Cups during his tenure there. Um, but for me, I think based on him being a starter for the majority of his career, I would say Tuka Rask has had a better career than Chris Osgood. Okay, interesting. So, yeah, Tuka Rask and uh, Chris Osgood, obviously two uh, goalies that haven't been inducted to the Hall of Fame. Brody's got Rask. I got Osgood. I think <laughs> I think Osgood goes before Tukaras does. Not to not to say that Tukaras didn't have a great career, you know, with the Bruins, but uh, yeah, Tukaras. Unfortunate that he couldn't come back, uh, come back to his form that he was uh, in prior seasons. But nevertheless, uh, congratulations to Tukaras on his retirement. He had a great career and uh, very happy for him. So let's uh, let's talk about some more NHL news. We talked about some firings earlier in the episode. Let's talk about some hirings. So. First things first, the St. Louis Blues extend their head coach, Barube. How many years was it? Was it three years? Three years. Three years. Yeah, three years. Um, what do you think about that? I think it's a very well-deserved extension. Craig Berube has had a very solid tenure with the St. Louis Blues so far, also bringing them a Stanley Cup championship in 2019, the first in their team history. So for me, um, Craig Berube definitely deserves an extension. His team plays with a very hard style of play. They're tough to play against. They move the puck really well. I think it's a great fit for Craig Berube and the St. Louis Blues, and best of luck to him going forward. Yeah, the Blues are uh, they're kind of you know the regular season. They're you never know what you're going to get from the Blues. Like you know they're a good team. They have their points where they are struggling. I know the last few games they've been struggling a little bit there. Um, notably, David Perron has been struggling as well. He's only scored I think something like two goals in 26 games. So. That's uh, interesting, but uh, yeah, Barube, he's, you know, been that, you know, backbone for the St. Louis Blues, especially during their uh, Stanley Cup win in 2019. I think he's a very good coach, and they have a very good roster built for them in St. Louis, so I don't see why they shouldn't succeed, and uh, going forth, forward with uh, Barube is uh, only positives over there for St. Louis. 
Um, a couple more hirings. So the Anaheim Ducks named Scott Niedermeyer, the uh, special advisor to the general manager, which is very cool to see. You know, Scott Niedermeyer winning the Stanley Cup with the Anaheim Ducks. Very good career. Um, Hall of Famer. So that's cool to see over there in Anaheim. Um, over in Philadelphia, uh, they named Daniel Briere the special assistant to the general manager. So that's also cool to see too. Daniel Briere also had a very good and lengthy uh, NHL career. So nice to see some of those uh, guys that you know me and you grew up with watching play, and, and uh, it's nice to see some of them you know getting roles with NHL teams to this day. So that's really cool to see a couple hirings there from former NHL players. So let's talk about um, let's talk about San Jose Brody. So. Uh, in headlines recently, it sounds like San Jose is trying to reach an agreement with their uh, pending, or I guess pending, yeah, pending uh, UFA, Thomas Hurdle. So a lot of a lot of rumors have been getting thrown around about Thomas Hurdle being dealt at the trade deadline. He's definitely one of those uh, top available players. But it sounds like San Jose wants to keep him. What's the idea there, Brody? Why do you, why do you think uh, San Jose wants to keep him over getting back some uh, different tools on their team? I think San Jose wants to keep him just because... He's a very good goal scorer, and with his age, I think he's still fairly young. He can still bring a lot to that organization. Um, although I could see from Thomas Hurdle's perspective maybe wanting to move to another team at the deadline. San Jose hasn't made the playoffs in the last few years. Looks like they're on the trend downward. They're an aging organization, so it'll definitely be interesting to see what happens with Hurdle. But, uh, yeah, Thomas Hurdle's a great forward, and he would definitely be a huge asset to the San Jose Sharks, and I can see why they would want to keep him. Yeah, I agree with that as well. Um, it, it just It's a little interesting because, like you said, San Jose does seem to be on the downwards trend. They don't uh, they don't really have the tools or the depth. You know, their goaltending has been fantastic this year. But other than that, they really have not been shining anywhere in any other aspect. So it's kind of interesting to see that San Jose is trying to work something out with Hurdle. You know, he's like he's something like 30 years old, so he's still got quite a few years left. He is a predominant goal scorer, so he is a good player, but... Uh, I'm kind of surprised by that a little bit just because, you know, he's a he's a great, you know, potential trade at the deadline. You know, a lot of teams would pay a lot to get him. So definitely interesting there in San Jose. Um, we'll have to uh, follow that along, see how that goes coming closer to the deadline as well. Uh, speaking of teams on a downwards trend, Brody, I know I have a lot of opinions on this next topic. Let's talk about it. The Arizona Coyotes are moving arenas. They finalize a deal with Arizona State University. They're going to be playing in their facility there for the next three years. So they signed a contract for three years to play in Arizona State University. Verdi, I want to hear your uh, opinions before I rant a little on this one. <laughs> I'll definitely leave some uh, opinions out there for Zach to rant on. But first <laughs> off, uh, yeah, it's definitely, uh, definitely interesting to see that Arizona is going to be playing from the Arizona State University. Their capacity is only 5,000. And to me, when you're the NHL, when you're the league and you're trying to raise the salary cap going forward and bring in more revenue, it's going to be very difficult to do that when you can only bring in 5,000 fans. Like the fans buying the tickets is a big part of what raises the cap. It's what brings the NHL revenue. And for me, it doesn't really make much sense to move Arizona to a university where you can only have so many fans. I'm a little annoyed. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I'm a little annoyed. I'm a little upset about this. Um, 
the the biggest reason I'm upset about this, um, it's it's affected me personally too. Um, you know, I live uh, just north of Calgary, a big Flames fan, so I want to you know go to some Flames games. And uh, recently, you know, some games in Canada have been you know canceled and postponed due to lack of attendance, which is very very frustrating because I know here in Alberta right now, um, entertainment uh, venues are restricted to 50% capacity. So if we take a look at a team like Calgary at the uh, Scotiabank Saddle Dome, there. Their 50% capacity is still about 9,000 people. So you're telling me that restricting, you know, like restricting the capacity is going to affect your revenue when you're getting 9,000 people in, but you're going to allow an NHL team to play an arena where at most they can have is 5,000 people. And you're going to allow that. And you're going to let that happen for the next three years. It's just, it's very hypocritical. I'm not very happy about it. I think it's bad for the uh, the team. It's bad for the league. Great for Arizona State University fans. Like, you know, it's going to be awesome for the, you know, people enrolled in that university. They're going to have a full-on NHL team on their campus, which is cool. Don't get me wrong, but it's not the facility to do it at. And uh, it's, just, it's frustrating to see from uh, a hockey fan that lives in Canada to see how much, you know, favored the you know the american teams are compared to canadian teams and it's it's frustrating it's something we have to live with as long as gary bettman's commissioner but uh yeah little frustrating there over there in arizona i'm not happy i'm really not happy but what can you do it is what it is so this week has been a little lackluster on the news in the nhl we've pretty much covered uh all the news that's been out there so we are uh still within over a month away from the trade deadline but as hockey fans, you can't help but to uh, fascinate about, uh, you know, trades and stuff like that. So let's talk a little bit more of some uh, potential trades and stuff like that. So there has been some rumors that uh, a bunch of Philadelphia Flyers scouts have been attending Colorado Avalanche games and uh, their minor league team, which I believe is the San Diego Gulls, something like that. I guess something along those lines. Anyways, um, they've been attending their games, which... Uh, can lead to uh, believe that maybe uh, they're looking for some packages back for a specific a specific player in uh, maybe Claude Giroux, maybe? So, Brody, Claude Giroux to the Avalanche. What would you think about that one? That would be absolutely terrifying. Like, <laughs> if, if you have Nathan McKinnon, Nazem Kadri, and Claude Giroux down the middle when you're already a cup-contending team, like, that just makes you absolutely frightening to any team in the league. And Colorado has the pieces that they could give back to the Flyers. Like, they're a very deep team. It's definitely a possibility. Um, in my opinion, I think the Flyers would have to retain half of Claude yeah. Giroux's salary in order to make it work. But, like, just having Claude Giroux on that roster just makes them completely terrifying. Yeah, another uh, another aspect about that trade too. Obviously, Claude Giroux has a full no movement clause. Um, I think if Colorado was presented to him, I don't think he'd say no. Uh, <laughs> Colorado definitely cup favorites this year, but uh, yeah, having that center core, that one two three punch of McKinnon, Kadri, and Giroux is terrifying. You could even play Giroux on the wing with that top line or with Kadri as well. So that would be a little terrifying. Let's talk about uh, another Western Conference team. I know. I, I, it's biased, man. I'm a Flames fan. What can I do? I love talking about the Flames. 
The Flames are in desperate, desperate need of secondary scoring. Their top line this year of Kachuk, Goudreau, and Lindholm has been on fire. All of them are above point per game. They're all around plus 30. It's the uh, the bottom nine that has been struggling for the Flames, especially, I'm calling them out, Brett Ritchie, 24 games played, zero goals, zero assists. Uh, Tyler Pitlick, 25 games played, only two assists. The uh, depth scoring has not really been there. Um, <laughs> the only depth score the Flames really have had this year is Milan Lucic, which is uh, kind of interesting. But the Flames need some depth scoring. Um... Do you have any thoughts on who they could pick up at this uh, deadline? Who the Flames could uh, go after for a depth score for them? Uh, I do have one team that I think the Flames could look to to add some secondary scoring to their roster, and it would be the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Tyler Toffoli is a good winger. He would definitely add to their top six. Montreal is clearly not going to make the playoffs, and I think Tyler Toffoli would want to be on a playoff roster if the opportunity is presented to him. Um, I think that he would fit in well in their top six and definitely be an option for the Flames. Yeah, Tyler Toffoli has definitely been talked about in the Flames community about potential trade pieces. Um, you got to remember, Tyler Toffoli was a Stanley Cup winner under Daryl Sutter with the Los Angeles Kings. So right there, you already have that good connection with Sutter and Toffoli. The Flames have really been after a right-handed shot scoring winger for quite a few years now. I know uh, the first time it was really brought up was when Mark Stone was available in Ottawa and Vegas ended up getting him at the deadline. So uh, Tyler Toffoli to the Flames, what would a package look like? I'm saying, I'm saying, let's, let's, let's go on a, on a, on a whim here. I'm going to propose a trade to you, Brody. You tell me who says no. We got going to Calgary. We got Christian Dvorak, Tyler Toffoli, going to Montreal, Sean Monaghan, Dylan Dubé, Yusuf Valimaki and a first. Who says no? He's got to think about that one. <laughs> uh, knowing Brad Tree Living, his history, he doesn't make a lot of bold moves. In my opinion, I feel like he would be the one to say no because I don't know if he would want to give up Dylan Dubé, a first-round pick, and one of their defensive prospects in Valimaki to make that trade work. He hasn't been proven in the past to pull the trigger. So for me, I, I feel like Brad Tree Living would be the one to say no. Yeah, Brad Tree Living definitely has a history of uh, being a little hesitant when it comes to trades. The last big trade he really made was with the Carolina Hurricanes where he acquired Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin for... Uh, Dougie Hamilton, uh, Adam Fox, but we're not going to talk about that, and Michael Furlan. So that was a very, very, very good trade for the Flames, obviously, with Lindholm playing on that top line, being the player that he is with the Flames and how he's grown on that team. Noah Hannafin also being a top four defenseman for the Flames. Great trade by Tree Living there, but Tree Living does have a history of not wanting to do any big trades. I know the last one before that Hannafin and Lindholm trade was Travis Hamanick. For a first and two seconds, that was uh... a. <laughs> I can see Brody's face right now. He's uh, he's looking a little sour. Yeah, that was a uh, <laughs> a trade that backfired. And I think that's another one of those reasons why Tree Living is definitely hesitant to pull the trigger on some of those big trades. But let me argue my case a little bit. You look at uh, a guy like uh, Sean Monahan, who has 19 points in 44 games this season. So he's definitely taken a hit in his scoring. Obviously, he hasn't been playing with Johnny Goudreau anymore because before, you know, the last couple of years, those two were the one-two guy up there in Calgary. But uh, the thing about Monahan 
that I haven't, as a Flames fan, really liked this year. You can tell he's still battling his injuries that he had. Um, apparently had terrible either back or hip problems last year and uh, stuff like that. He's a very good face-off man, you know. He's uh, winning something like 52, yeah, 52% uh, face-offs right now. Um, the only problem I really have with Sean Monaghan right now is that he doesn't score on five on five he is one of their he sits in the uh he sits on the high slot on the power play you know he gets those goals there but uh when it comes to his five on five play it's been rough this year and granted he hasn't been playing around the best players you know Lucic has been pretty good for Calgary he's been playing here and there with Lucic but guys like Trevor Lewis who only has nine points in 44 games uh Dubé's been having an off season uh, you know Brett Ritchie all those Brad Richardson so he's a minus 13 right now this season which is kind of rough especially on a team that has a plus 40 goal differential so Monaghan definitely needs to get some of that confidence back I feel that uh if he were to go over to Montreal you know there's very very low expectations something uh good could happen Monahan's way same thing with Dubé as well Dubé's been having quite an offseason as well Dubé only four goals seven assists and 44 games as well granted he's also not getting as much chances as he has in prior seasons um Yusuf Valimaki is an interesting point there Valimaki has been one of those defensemen that could definitely play you know the bottom pair for the Flames but how the Flames have been playing you know this year they haven't needed to change things up on the blue line. That third pair of Good Branson and Zadaroff, I'm going to be honest, going into this season, I was terrified for that defense pair. I was absolutely terrified of it. But they've really come into their own. Zadaroff has definitely stepped up his offensive game. Good Branson's been a very good stay-at-home defenseman. So it's obvious that there's really no space for Valimaki on this roster. So I could see, you know, Tree Living doing something with that. The first, you know, is just because, you know, Toffoli and Dvorak are very good NHL players. So... I, could, I agree with you, Brody, that I think Tree Living says no on that one. But, uh, you know, there's possibility. There's possibility. I would love to see Tyler Toffoli come over. Um, you know, play him on that second line. You could have him play with uh, You could have him play with Coleman, Backlund. You could have him play with a bunch of people. Keep that top line together. Add some more depth scoring. I think the Flames, too. The Flames need to take a chance on some of their young guys in the AHL. Uh, the Stockton Heat right now are playing very, very good. Uh, backed up by... Dustin Wolf, who's having one of the best seasons as a goalie in AHL history. Um, some guys like Matthew Phillips, uh, Peltier, even Connor Zary, stuff like that. I think they need to chance, uh, take a chance and uh, bring some of those guys up and take out uh, players like Brett Ritchie and, you know, Trevor Lewis and stuff. Um, another thing I wanted to add as well with uh, Sean Monaghan, there's got to be some leadership involved there. With the play that Monaghan has been playing this year, his point total has been rough, especially five on five. His plus minus has been brutal. Um, he is an alternate captain though, Brody. Like he's an alternate captain of the Flames. So you gotta imagine that there's something there in that locker room that's keeping them from moving on from Monaghan. But hey, if uh Toffoli's available and he fits, you know, the persona that you are looking at perfectly, like you got you gotta do something to get him, you know. So a little bit of more trade rumors, you know, coming up to this deadline. I'm super excited for this deadline. How about you, Brody? I'm stoked. <laughs> I'm pretty stoked too. Yeah, there's a lot of good players being talked about. A lot of teams. It's gonna be it's gonna be an expensive one, I think. There's gonna be a lot of trades going through. So I don't think it's gonna be quite the caliber of the NBA, uh, <laughs> the NBA trade deadline, man. I know this is a hockey podcast, but I just wanted to talk about this. The NBA trade deadline 
is crazy, man. We just saw James Harden, like like top 10 basketball player in the league, just get traded at the deadline. How often does that happen in hockey? That's like that's like you you telling me you walking up to the street and be like, oh yeah, by the way, uh, Leon Dreisaitl just got traded. Like what? Like <laughs> that don't happen in the NHL. Like that's crazy. I just wanted to throw that in there. NBA trade deadline was crazy. I'm hoping the NHL follows suit and does the same thing. So, is there anything else you want to add to this episode of the podcast, Brody? Episode number three. Uh, I'm gonna go on a Monahan's leadership perspective from the Calgary Flames. I mean. We've been having fun on this podcast, so I'm just gonna say it right now. Monahan's there for the boys. He wants he's to there keep... for the boys. <laughs> he's there for the boys. He wants to keep them going, have them have a good time. <laughs> he's just there to hype them up, and he's having a rough season, but hopefully he'll turn it around. Hey, you know if the wheels are turning on that Flames team, why stop them? You know if Monahan is there, not playing the best, but it, the team is getting it done. Let the team get it done. So that is going to end our third episode of the Cherry Pickers podcast. We've had a blast recording this one in person. Hopefully we can do more like that. We appreciate all of you for tuning in and listening to our show. Our show is available on Spotify Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube as well. Stay tuned. We upload one episode every single Sunday at 12 o'clock Mountain Standard Time. We appreciate you all listening and hope you have a great rest of your day or night. Take care.